for, so, G, for Gmail or for Stripe. Exactly. Like, when I go to enter my password, it's just my second factor. So what happens? What's happening here? It's the same thing as this, but the key that's generating those tokens based on time is on your phone. Right. So if your phone ever became compromised, those two factors will also become compromised, right? So in this scenario, it does the same thing, but the key that generates the token is actually on the implant. And it doesn't come off. I so, see. So, so there's no way to get that key even if the phone was compromised. So if I present the tag, I can get my, my tokens that way. Whoa. And even if so, I put So you're app, saying that when you go to log into GitHub. GitHub, yeah. That it asks for your password and it asks for a second factor of auth. And then I generate it with my implant. The Thinking Podcast by Nutribox. I'm the host, Michael Brandt. And we have a special guest here today, Emil Grafstra, who's an adventure technologist and also founder of Dangerous Things, which is a site where you can go to buy different implants, NFC and RFID implants that you can put actually into your body that help you to do things like unlock your phone or different locks. So we're here to talk about the implications there and just learn more about the space in general. So Emil, thanks cool. for joining us. Yeah, no problem. It's uh, you know, it's great being in San Francisco, and uh, and it's always fun experiencing the downtown and all the technology going on. I, I just saw a list of uh, high tech cities, and San Francisco is right up there. It, it's really interesting that San Francisco is always considered a high tech city because uh, there's so, there's a lot of things that are very high tech about it. There's some of the best, most interesting new companies in the world are here. Uh, that in that, and there's yet there's also something very quaint about it. When you think about high tech cities, sometimes you'll think about like Shanghai, right, where like yeah. every building is it's gleaming, and yeah, the, uh, LED lighting, and, yeah. and in San Francisco we have our, our trolley cars and our <laughs> our pretty Victorian houses. So it's a, it's an interesting city that kind of has uh, the mix of old like things that are literally from the seventies or, or yeah. older, um, and very new exciting companies. I think that's part of what gives the city its its charm. It's very, yeah, it's very steampunk on the outside, like high tech cyber on the inside. Yeah, and you're just coming in from. From DefCon, yeah, yeah, in, in Vegas. So that's all about like you know cybersecurity and um, you know what's going on. There's a new biohacking village in DefCon, so now we're looking at like biological security. Okay, uh, like what's happening with our DNA sequencing? Could could you weaponize the data? That kind of stuff. So there's all kinds of crazy stuff happening. And so you're particularly interested in security and privacy. I can guess just by the notion of uh, a lot of, a lot of what you've been working on has been implants that help people to unlock things and what can you tell us a little bit about what what makes that a particularly interesting angle of attack into the human body like what what is it about uh an rfid or nfc chip that's particularly interesting of all the reasons to implant something into your body why is uh why is that where your uh your focus sure Uh, i mean it's kind of the same as nootropics it's about augmentation human capabilities and uh there's a there's a fundamental difference in my opinion between the tools that we pick up and use and tools that are integrated into us right yeah so like your kidneys are working hard but you really don't really think about them much right so a perfect implant technology, augmentative technology, is exactly that. It's, it's managementless. There, there's no management. It's seamless. It integrates perfectly, and you don't have to um, worry about charging it or, you know, does it have signal or, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of why these quantified self-devices, Fitbits and whatnot, uh, end up in the drawers because we already have these modern-day Tomagotchis, these um, things we have to manage in a day, the wallet, keys, and phone. Those are, like, the three things. But if you add devices to that, it becomes cumbersome, and, right. uh, you know, people just uh, they don't want to do the extra management. So uh, I, I, there are people that are extremely passionate about it, of course, uh, and they'll do it 
it uh, to the nth degree, but by and far large, the, the general public, right? That they, they yeah, have there's this always, management burden, right? There's always that drive in technology that actually things should feel like less technology. Exactly. When things yeah. feel like more technology, it starts to feel very uh, like cluttered and, mm-hmm. and nerdy, and you have to have a lot of like mental capacity just controlling all of your doodads that you have around yeah uh we always think about like the, the original computer hackers and like it was really hard to even have a computer when you had to like you know solder each part together yeah but now that you can just have something that works out of the box uh, the ubiquity is you know a thousand x what it would have been yeah. and so I, something like implants which if, if you're mentioning you're mentioning that one of the key characteristics is very low maintenance or actually zero maintenance yeah. to where it just works. It's, uh, it's transparent. It just disappears. And yeah, so and that's very exciting. Yeah. My, my, my first foray into this was actually in 2005. And so uh, I was working for medical clinics uh, doing HIPAA compliance checks and things like that. So uh, I was going in and out of my office door, which actually was a basement in a clinic. And it had an emergency door. It wasn't meant for ingress, egress. It was just meant for kind of running out when your building's on fire. So um, it had one of those crash bars that was locking every time the door closed. There's no way to unlock the door. And so I'd go out and I'd grab a heavy server and I'd come back in and I'd have to grab my keychain. And I'm like, I did it 20, 30 times a day. And I'm like, this is not not cool. I, I started thinking about like keys are just these archaic cut metal pieces of crap that we carry on our keychains that identify us, right? So. Right. It, it really is 700 BC type technology and it hadn't changed. So I, I said, I just want the door to know that it's me. And so I looked at like fingerprint scanning and, uh, I, you know, iris recognition, that kind of thing. But back then and even still today, it's expensive and clunky. And particularly for outdoor sensors, it's not very viable. I mean, you can get a vandal just like, you know, stab it with a pen and it's now it's broken. So, you know, RFID technology, the badges, you just tap, you know, at the door. Right. It's robust, it's simple, it's cheap and, um, and reliable. So... Um, it's interesting because I think from the if you're an alien from outer space you're really just looking at okay where is the barrier is it that a human is coming with their fingerprints and their their eyeballs and then that's that's the layer where they're meeting the technology and the Mm. technology is reading them or is the technology inside of the person where they have the the chip and then when they go to the door it just reads them seamlessly because there's always going to be that barrier where like human meets machine and sure, yeah. and what what you're saying is that if you have a affordable device a very affordable device uh, it's like a hundred dollars yeah, yeah exactly. that's inside of you uh, and then that allows for much cheaper and more robust durable sensing mm-hmm. as opposed to you know a, a retinal scanner right. uh, that that's a more viable path that that's where it yeah. would make sense for the barrier to be I, I think so and I mean the reality is that um, you know when you when you have something like this technology it gets rid of that management problem, right? So you could totally have an RFID system, and a lot of people have experience with these key fobs or access cards, but you're, again, carrying another token, another thing. And so, you know, it's it just not, for me, I want to get rid of the keys entirely. So I've totally upgraded my house. I can get in the house, office, start my car, start my motorcycle, get into a fire safe, log into the computer. Like, I even made a smart gun that I could, like, only only I could pick it up and shoot it kind of thing. So those those types of identity problems is what got me thinking about uh, you know what it is that we're doing here so so on the surface it looks like oh you just get a, an implant and now you don't have to carry your keys and eh, who cares uh, that alone to me is huge because the first time you forget your keys and you're late for a meeting you, you, you just don't have that problem I've never had that problem for the last decade right yeah. it's just it's awesome and so that uh, lack of management I mean imagine running out the door without your keys or wallet or phone you'll have a panic attack, right? <laughs> like, oh my God, I got I to have something, right? Are so. there any other kind of interesting 
ways that you stretch the technology? Like when you're staying at your friend's house, do they provision you access to their door? Like, have you done? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, like if there's uh, uh, systems that um, you know, like friends have the the electronic locks. I mean, yeah. You know, you don't have to be a super hacker to do it either. I mean, you could just buy like an uh, electronic door lock that reads key fobs, and yeah. uh, and then put it on your door, and you're done. You don't and, you, and I can say like. Emil's going to be in town for this weekend, like, you know, mm-hmm. grant access to, to his ID. Yeah, exactly. So I'll, I'll show up and then he'll just, you know, just put the lock into programming mode, right? And I just scan my tag, boom, it's in the inventory, done. And when I leave, he can take it out. Yeah, and it's a lot more convenient than making copies of keys. And, and secure, too. I mean, yeah. like, uh, locks in general, like, the traditional key lock stru- structure is all, you know, the locks are unique, and each key for that lock is copied. So yeah, the, yeah. The, the keys become common and, and generic for that lock. and. Once you release a key, it's really in the wild. Like anybody could go to the hardware store and make a copy. So th- this is the inverse of that, where the locks are all generic. They're all the same, but they just maintain a list of unique keys. And so, you know, I'll put my key into infinite number of locks or, or whatever. The same, you know, ID number will work in any of those And locks. then is there a risk of spoofing? So if I, if there's a lock and I put a, a discrete reader on the lock that, so the lock is reading your, your right, chip. Right. And so is my reader is also reading your chip. Then do I know your key? Yes. Yeah, so that's that's one of the problems with traditional RFID, right? And yeah. so, um, in a personal use context, like on your home, right? It's not typically. It's still a risk, but the but the um, the context is different. So the the um, the total risk is not that much. Like if you had it in your home, and I wanted to get into your home, I mean, I would have to attack you specifically, your home specifically. I could probably just break a window instead, right, and get in, or, or you know, other surreptitious means of getting in. So, um, in a, in a business context where somebody might want to gain access to the business or to a bank or to you know some kind of other more public or general use context, like even payment cards, right, tap and pay cards. Those those contexts there there are um, the risks are higher, right. Yeah. So we actually started addressing uh, that with our next um, iteration, our product, which is called Yuki. Uh, it's uh, basically a full cryptographic platform. It's a Java card um, smart programmable platform. So if you know anything about like in crypto or uh, Java card pro- applet programming, you can actually make your own crypto programs and load that onto the implant uh, as an application. So there, there's some standard apps like PGP, which is state encryption decryption standard. Uh, there's U2F, which is coming out. That's already on there. There's Bitcoin wallets that are already loaded onto my prototype here in my arm. So in those scenarios, somebody listening to the conversation wouldn't uh, it uses cryptography, so it wouldn't okay. uh, it wouldn't matter. Yeah, because um, I think I think one of the questions that people have is, hey, okay, I get it that implanting something could be better than a key, but I need it to be flawless. The same right. notion of like, yeah, it's I, I don't ever want to have to charge the battery. Right, like right. I don't ever like if I'm gonna put it if I'm gonna put it inside of my body, I want it to work 100 percent of the time. Uh, so I think that there's there's this very high barrier that that's, that people have at least. Uh, at, at the point the technology's at now, which is, hey, I, I want it to work um, like perfectly. Right. I, I want there to be zero risk. If I'm gonna put, if I'm gonna implant something, I want it to work like. Yeah. There's yeah. No zero maintenance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so these are all zero maintenance, right? Yeah. These will last forever. Um, but the, um, I think the interesting thing is the, the reality, the the, the logical and rational uh, idea here is that. Um, you know, you talk about an implant or something like that, and people have a real visceral reaction. They're right. like, ugh, you know, they don't want to do it, or ugh, there's the idea of putting something under the skin. But at the same time, uh, it's actually far less risky than even getting an ear piercing. 
Like, oh yeah. Well, know. so that that's actually an interesting segue. When I remember, I one of the things I read about you is that when you sell these kits online, you you have suggested people that you uh, that you recommend that your customers go to to actually do the implanting. Yeah. And what's really interesting is these are not always necessarily medical doctors, which can be really expensive. And they sometimes won't won't do this kind of implant, and they're you, not very good at it. And either. they're not very good at it. So you actually recommend among among the set of people that you recommend are people who do piercings. Yes, professional uh, piercers, right? Who are who, licensed and bonded and have aseptic uh, procedure in studio, yeah. right? Um, so yeah, tell us more about that. Yeah. So when we first started Dangerous Things, the whole idea was, uh, you know, like I say, I did this in two thousand five, and then it kind of things cooled off for a bit. There was some a little bit of media hubbub. Uh, but then the maker revolution started. Like people started going back in the garage and building things again, and like hobbyist electronics people were like building things, and so there became there was a lot of interest now back, coming back into RFID, and particularly implants, uh, just because people who understood how to build things they could say, oh man, that's cool, I can build this thing, but I can also get an implant, so I can just like magically wave my hand over it and do something. So uh, at that time, there's still a lot of coverage floating around out there from 2005, and so people just started like taking transponders out of car keys or other any old place they could find them and not testing them for safety and then just like ramming them in their body any old way so it was becoming a problem and so i i started dangerous things with two goals which was one provide safe uh stuff so we ordered and worked with uh, factories and manufacturers and tested and like said okay these are our uh, selected safe products we'll make products so, out of so was this stuff out there and you sort of did a curation job of finding at first which oem parts would we're good for implanting or are you yeah. actually designing the spec well we are now but okay. at first we started out with just um sourcing so okay. um all the you know millions of these things are being made every year for pets and animals right um, oh, but some of these manufacturers were also making other chipsets in these same safe materials but some weren't some were just making them for industrial purposes and totally not safe for implanting so we had to find which ones were doing which source those then um you know ask the factory to put in additional qa checks because uh, these were going to go into people, right? So, um, you know, working with those factories to get that done was great because then, um, like, just very quickly, we decided, okay, that was goal one, so it's safe stuff. Goal two is safe installation. And so we, we came out for, at first with a DIY guide, like, here's how to do it, get a friend who you trust and do it. Yeah. And uh, that, that very quickly evolved into um, scrapping that idea and then going with professional piercers because, I mean, they deal with needles and they know how to handle skin and it just made sense, right? Yeah. So uh, we had a, a guide made up for professional piercers and we started growing a partner network and then we have hundreds uh, around the world now. I just think it's, a, it's so interesting as a kind of backdoor into the human body. It's like <laughs> we're, uh, body modification is uh, is just a lot a, a lot more seems a lot more casual or a lot a lot less serious that and, and invasive than than medicine is and a lot more approachable too, like the friendly mm -hmm. tattoo person as opposed to the, the scary hospital. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's interesting. Like one thing that we've talked about before is as we're talking about generally, uh, you know, enhancement and implants and, and we think about people who undergo gender reassignment, right. right? So that, so like there's things that are already happening in the world that we can borrow from. There's if people are already getting tattoos and piercings or we're already implanting things into like, our dogs or right. we're already seeing people have gen their gender reassigned like then how you kind of take those together and it's like hey it doesn't seem weird at all to implant an rfid <laughs> chip right we're already like there's already right. like, literally like, like we've already surrounded the area like we, there's already a constellation of things that are going on that are very yeah. similar um uh, that this is 
I, I think that it lowers the cognitive leap to the notion of enhancement. It's like, hey, wait, like, is it really all that different from, you know, your tattoo piercing guy who's done that 20,000 times, who's done yeah. a, a very similar thing, right? Yeah. Um, with a, you know, a completely clean environment, controlled procedure, dependable outcomes, like, that that's your guy that that's yeah. a or, or gal yeah. that's yeah, a person exactly. that you would and and they're not to, i mean uh, you know we've had doctors to do installations um some of them turn out good but most of the ones that, that doctors install don't because they don't read our documentation because they have a bit of an ego huh. uh, sometimes that happens with artists too but uh, uh but for for the most part piercers are eager to eager to learn specifically about something new for their industry so they're they're just as excited to be involved as, as we are to have them so uh, but what's funny, what you mentioned, all the, the gender reassignment and tattoo, you know, all this stuff, it all, it's, it's swirling around identity, right? So your gender identity, you're, you're expressing yourself, your identity through your, through your tattoos. And now this is kind of hard, hitting right at the heart of why we want to keep pr producing better and better, more secure devices is that if you think about solving real problems, you know, being able to just... Um, leave your keys at home or get rid of your keys. That's not a real problem that needs solving. I mean, we've, we've got keys. It's an incremental solution, you know, improvement. And right. so, but what, what is a real serious problem today is identity itself, particularly digital identity and bridging your biological identity with your digital identity. And so, you know, right now you, you, you could argue that your digital identity is way more important than your biological identity. The, the who you are online and in records and banks, bank accounts and Facebook and messaging and SMS, all of that is, is really how you communicate now. It's, it's you, right? It's a proxy for you. And so all of these things that are critically important for you as a biological entity um, are just loosely protected with these passwords and, and these are things that are just completely insecure. And so, you know, you've had, you've all had friends whose accounts have been hacked and it's very obvious because they post porn or whatever, right? But what's more scary is that, you know, an, an account that could be compromised and then very surreptitiously and subtly start undermining things, right? And this is a real problem in regime areas where regimes are not friendly to free discourse and freedom of the press and, you know, people with uh, dissidents against the governments or the regimes. They have real serious problems, even with things like two-factor, where... For example, people uh, in China who might be dissenting or, or other areas, they will have their Gmail accounts and then they'll lock those with two-factor. But the problem is Google sends SMS messages as a two-factor. That's not cryptographic. And so China controls all the mobile phone companies. And so they just block that message, take it, and then log into the account. And the person never knows that they've been compromised. So the idea of identity and actually retaking your, your ownership over identity and, and merging that with you, who you are as a person, is really, really important. And uh, by, by doing that with this crypto implant, the Yuki, uh, we can actually envision a future where, for example, when you log into your bank account, it's not just the username and password and then you start sending money. It's actually, you need to sign that transaction cryptographically. Any transaction of moving of money, sending a message, SMS, or anything, posting on Facebook or Twitter, if you can sign those things cryptographically so that everybody can verify, yes, this was actually you, yeah. um, and then and, and then beyond that, sending uh, encrypted data to you so that nobody can read it, but just, to, just the idea of signing and owning the identity, that means that Facebook or somebody working at Facebook couldn't actually post something as you. Somebody who compromised your account couldn't post something as you. So. The idea of taking back control of your identity is where we want to go. We want to solve that problem of identity management online. Interesting. And it seems so, 
you got me sold. Security makes a lot of sense. Maintaining one's right to privacy, it seems like a really a really valuable motivation for people to invest in these new types of technology and implants. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious then, if, if you're going through the, the trouble or, or the investment of implanting, what are some of the other interesting things you could you could backpack onto there? Like sure. I noticed, for, for instance, one of the implants that that you sell on Dangerous Things does body temperature reading. Yeah. Right, is that is that an area that you're investigating? Because it seems to me if you're gonna if you're gonna do the work of the research in the uh, you know go to your tattoo parlor and have the thing and have them implant it, it'd be great to know some basic biomarkers as well for free sure. Sure. if you can get it. So now we're now we're venturing into. Um, the idea, uh, fundamentally, these these devices that we have are, are called passive. They don't have a battery. So okay. they induct power from a reader that generates a magnetic field. And it's like NFC on your phone. It creates a small magnetic field around the phone. You bring the NFC tag within range. It pulls power and talks to the phone. So that's, that's fundamentally different from a device that you might want to do, like, constant monitoring uh, with. That's going to need power. Okay. And so right now, you know, you think about, like, a pacemaker has a battery, and that battery lasts for 10 years. Uh, or it might have a rechargeable type battery that lasts maybe five years or something like that. But um, the pacemaker, it uses uh, microwatts. It uses such a small amount of power that they can get away with just sticking a, a, a battery of a specific chemistry in there and then take it out 10 years later and it's fine. But when you're talking about like, I'm going to monitor temperature, I'm going to monitor pulse oximetry, I'm going to telemetry that out with Bluetooth or whatever, you, you need a much bigger, more um, dense power storage device. And so... The, the go-to for that is lithium batteries. But, I mean, you've seen hoverboards explode and, like, like vape yeah. pens explode and, like, Sony laptop batteries catching on fire. So there's a real serious problem with that energy storage technology when you're talking about putting it inside your body. Um, not just the explosion, but, like, hydrofluoric acid, which is lethal. Like, all these things, these byproducts of a, of a failure of the battery would be serious problems. So your, your bodies are already metabolizing. You already have glucose going on yeah. in your body. You already have ketones going on in your body. Is there going to be a, a way for implants to be able to take advantage of, of your body's natural Potentially. There's, there's a lot of work going into, like, kinetic, right. uh, piezoelectric, so okay. movement. Um, TEG, uh, thermoelectric generation, was, dis- was um, kind of mulled over. Um, but your body's really good at um, at fouling up those things. So okay. uh, there's even a glucose battery that's trying to be worked. It's a fuel cell, really. It yeah. uses glucose, which, I mean, glucose, for pound for pound, has a ton of energy in it. That's why we use that's it, why right? That's we use it. <laughs> um, but it's very, very difficult. The bot- in vivo is a, a very difficult place to be. And so when you have something that's interacting with fluids, trying to pull glucose from the body, that kind of thing, it the body reacts it, it, it builds scar tissue around the device there's like even bacteria that gets introduced into your system like let's say you have this thing and it's it's doing its job pulling glucose out and then uh, you go and get a vaccine or a, a blood draw or something where they poke a needle through your skin and for all the prep that you're doing there there some bacteria gets in and so if that bacteria happens to float to that device it can actually attach to the surface where the body doesn't care about the device. The materials right. are fine, but it forms this biofilm around the device, and the body starts trying to reject it. Okay. Um, so it just—it's called biofouling. And so there's so many there's so many things that get in the way. Even thermoelectric generation, your body detects the loss of heat and shuts down blood vessels. So around the device, right? So the, the, it just doesn't work. I mean, in fact, one of the projects that I did, I put a solar panel under my skin because I wanted to see the delta between above and below skin in a controlled setting. Right. So just to see if I could like rely on that as a potential power source. But um, really, the, the bottom line is we need a better battery. 
uh, and that's actually something we've been working on for over a year now, is uh, using a nano uh, technology with uh, casein protein to be able to actually build a flexible storage battery for power. Because once we have that, once we have something we can actually store a decent amount of power with good density, then you're talking about like, okay, now we can actually do constant monitoring, we can do temperature, we can do uh, pulse ox, we can do motion, we can do sleep tracking, we can do all the things that you have the gadgets for, yeah. but in a device that's inside of you. And hopefully we can it, design it in a way that's uh, very low or no management. Yeah, and right now the, the killer app, so to speak, for implants is being able to unlock doors. Uh, for, for what you yeah. So that that yeah. that that uh, that area uh, genre of identity, right? Yeah. So um, moving beyond that, you, you know, yeah. we're looking at like Bitcoin transactions, being able to actually encrypt your email and data, being able to only boot your laptop if you have a crypto implant, that kind of thing, is one of the you know. So expanding on the identity aspect of just access, because uh, RFID stands for Radio Frequency Identification, and um, in a in an inventory context like shirts on a shelf at Walmart, right. it's about counting and locating. Um, you know, this shirt is here at this time, but in a human context, it's identity is typically about access. Either I'm okay to pay for this with this account or go through that door or log into this computer. Um, so the applications beyond, beyond those access applications are um, privacy applications. How do I make sure that I'm the only one reading my email? How do I make sure that you're the only one that, you know, that you're able to verify that I sent my email to you? Like, how do you actually ensure privacy beyond identity? And it's interesting because one of the, uh, at a philosophical level, one of the reasons that you've mentioned in the past that you're so interested in this is the notion of freedom. Yeah. That, that we're talking about access and identity and protection, but you see it as actually expanding our freedom. And, and that's interesting, right? Because it's not just uh, like some limited use cases where you, when you're sending top secret files, <laughs> like you have a, a way of having really good two-factor authorization. But, but your notion is that in general, this is going to increase our, our freedom. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like what, how do you see this as expanding freedom? Sure. So it, it's really tough to think about a future where essentially your biological personhood is at, at a value level of zero, right? Um, you, you can't even open a bank account with all the appropriate documentation which ties to digital records and things like this. So being able to actually uh, verify authenticity uh, of yourself and then actually protect your personal and private communications from, uh, from eavesdropping or whatever, spying, those, those kinds of things like it fights directly the types of oppression that uh, that could lead to problems. So um, if you're talking about, I want to be able to open an account somewhere anonymously, but I want it to be secure, right. that's really tough to do without crypto, right? Um, so you, you can't really be secure and anonymous. So, but with cryptography, you can, because you could say, okay, I've got a public and private key, uh, you know, do, do you know how PKI public keys work? Yeah, I mean, run it yeah, through, yeah. run it through us for everyone yeah, so out there. Very yeah. simply, it's it's you know, you know, spy magazine, you know, magazines when you're a kid or whatever. Yeah. The, I'll give I'll give you a secret message, and we both have a password, right? And right. The password is used to encrypt it, and then you use the same password to decrypt it. That's shared key. We share it. But how do you share the key with securely? That's the problem. So, right. um, public key encryption is freaking awesome because it means that if I'm gonna do something, I make a key pair. So I, it's a crypto key that's split into two, and I make one public and then one private, and you do the same. And so what's awesome about these is they can encrypt and decrypt each other's things, right. so they're one way. 
Meaning if I use the public key to encrypt something, only the private key can decrypt so, it. So if I want to write a message that only you can read, I use your public key yes. to encrypt this message, and then no one else in the world can read it because only the only someone with the private key that matches that public key, i.e. you, yes. would be able to read it. Exactly. And then you can also sign that message that you send with your private key, and then I can verify it using your public key. I can, I, I can verify that signature. So we have the ability to send something that's secret, verify the authenticity, and verify that it wasn't altered in transit. So being able to do that is great. Now picture a situation where you want to open a bank account or a Bitcoin wallet or something like that, but you don't want to use a public key that's tied to you. Right. You just generate a new key pair that's anonymous. It's not tied to you in any way. It has no reputation. And so then you, you're still using the power of the public cryptography, but it's a new key just for this application. So you can always come back to that bank or whatever and unequivocally verify that you're the account holder but it's now anonymous. Yeah, and it, it seems a lot better than you know, scribbling a signature on a piece of paper or right, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Whatever we use currently to to verify or ownership, or for I a think thumbprint or something yeah. like this. I, mean, I think to say that no, like I own that key and it's stored on a device that's literally inside of me. Right, is a lot more uh, robust than hey, here's my here's my hand squiggle. And it's actually more secure too. I mean, yeah. this is people ask why implant it, right? And the reality is, cryptography requires computing. And computing on your phone or your laptop is insecure because it's a general public, you know, general purpose computing platform. Yeah, your phone's compromised. I guarantee it. Your laptop's very likely compromised. So when you have your public and private or your private keys on your phone, for example, um, the second it gets compromised, it's no longer private. So anybody can then take those keys and go and use them. So by putting in an implant that's removed from those platforms. I can if my phone is compromised. That's that's fine. It's not good, but I can still use the phone with the implant, and then the person that's attached my phone still can't get at my private key because it's here. So yeah. I pass the data to this. It does the signing and then kicks it back, and so they might be able to see what I was sending. Maybe they even get might get some of the content, but they're not going to ever be able to pretend to be me, or pro very likely not be able to decrypt other things that are sent in transaction on uncompromised devices. Yeah. So it's. It's um, in order of magnitude more secure, in my yeah. opinion, to remove it, it to something like this, this implant. And it's brilliant. It's, it's giving us superpowers. It's, it's very clearly a way of enhancing and increasing what we're able to do in the world, like the leverage that we're able to have if we're able to authenticate into more and more secure things and, and do it more uh, in a more guaranteed way than it's just it's better right yeah, we're yeah. able to engage in more things and it's uh, and it's actually it, covert too this is yeah. the other thing like i'm i have four devices now two of our regular products and two prototypes yeah and uh you know i pass through airport security i, I you know unless you're aware of them like a body cavity search or strip search wouldn't even reveal them so uh being able to actually protect my my data um at this point anyway because it's not a common thing is uh, it's pretty covert. Actually. Yeah. Unless I declare that I have them, it's not not really an issue. It, do you think that this is going to be the type of thing that crops up, not necessarily in the United States, but maybe in other countries where there's there's more oppression? Like, is, is it one of those things where where the you need the right kind of perfect storm of uh, of things going on? politically to where enough people are like are super motivated to go and do this yeah i mean i think that 
the motivation right now is definitely going to be like high value individuals, okay. um, people that have a lot of data or uh, physical security needs, uh, financial security needs, data security needs, communications security needs. So we're we're kind of wrapping this up in the uh, in, in an offering where we can say, hey, yeah. if you if you really need this uh, this kind of protection, then we can make a package for you right. and uh, and help you out. So that's but, interesting to me because that makes me wonder, like, are there going to be companies where in order to work for this company, their security protocol is so robust that they're actually requiring employees have a implant. It's funny. That's that's interesting, and it wasn't really an issue before. I, I would I would say that that wouldn't have been any kind of requirement before, because quite simply, the implants that we had were not secure, so right. there would be no reason. Like an RFID isn't doing that for you, but right, right. But Yuki is. Yuki is, yeah. yeah. So so, but even then, back uh, there was enough um, media hubbub about what I'd done in two thousand five that actually three states passed laws where it makes it illegal for employers to require an implant. Okay, Georgia is one of them. I think Tennessee is another. But here's where I think they overstepped. Uh, they actually inquire, in the in the legislation they included that an employee could not even be incentivized to get one. So I'm like, I get making not making it a requirement. But not being able to incentivize one, like, hey, we'll subs- we'll pay for the implant and we'll like give you a raise if you get it. Yeah, that that's free market, and like all the conservatives in those states were really pushing this like anti-chipping bill or whatever they call it. Um, but like to throw that in is just hypocrisy at its yeah. finest, you know. Uh, yeah, that's that's very interesting. I think that it seems anti-free market, and it seems to get in the way of progress for. Um, like what seems like a sophomoric interpretation of, oh, like, like yeah. just like fear of implant, like irrational fear. Yeah, it of, was actually driven by process. It was driven by this company called City Watcher, and they made some 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 waves because they were putting chips into imp, uh, their employees right for access to their data center, and the story, the news story, was all about this company's making these employees get it, and they weren't. They were just saying, if you want an implant, we can do it, or you can have a key fob, right? So the media got it wrong and caused a bunch of stink. But what I find really, really annoying and almost perverse about the about that whole problem, that whole story, was that they completely ignored what City Watcher does, which is they pull camera feeds from everywhere, all across cities, everywhere, and they run facial recognition to track people around the city. That's more terrifying than the implant to me. Like just walking around a city enrolls you in a right. biometric face yeah, scanning yeah, yeah. system and you have no idea. Like. Come on, guys! You're like looking for the anthill and there's an elephant right in front of you. So it's just goofy that uh, that because RFID, the implant, is a tangible thing and it's a visceral thing. It gets a lot, a lot of scrutiny and a lot of misinformation uh, about it. Like, oh, they can track me or something, or you know, any Hollywood movie reference to a chip. It's always about like firing a missile at somebody or you know, yeah, finding yeah. where they're at or whatever. Uh, but the reality is like biometric systems that are already deployed are far more scary and or- Orwellian. You know? Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting to see that you're you're thinking about the space a lot, and you're doing a lot of the the detailed work of actually figuring out implementation. Mm-hmm. the The general concept of implants and uh, enhancement in general is very exciting, and it's really interesting to have you on as a guest and hear about just the implementation details of the batteries sure, yeah. and the the legal considerations and the security benefits and just a lot of the details that you've obviously thought through. How do people find out more about what you're up to? Um, well, you can go to DangerousThings.com, and uh, we're just starting now a forum, and uh, we have a couple Facebook groups going too. So I'm I'm trying to consolidate everything and be a better marketer. I'm most, sure. More, mostly and, a technology developer. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, well, you've already done a ton of work in making it all the more accessible to people and helping to debunk and uh, productize 
a lot of what's a really interesting concept. You made it very real and tangible and, and actionable, and it's exciting to see what's what's next there and how it becomes even more useful, even more uh, accessible, even lower friction to, to uh, for people to participate in. Mm-hmm. So thanks. It's great to have you on. Sure. I just want to say thanks again to Emil Grafsta for being here. You can always check us out on YouTube and SoundCloud and iTunes. And please keep letting us know your questions for us or for our guests. As always, we give out a thinking cap to people who who chime in with questions. So let us know, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks.